South Carolina's biggest SEC rival, the Georgia Bulldogs, just lost offensive coordinator Todd Bunkin to the NFL and hired a familiar face to take his place. What does this mean for the South Carolina Gamecocks? Our Locked On Gamecocks, your daily podcast on the South Carolina Gamecocks, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, Gamecock Nation, and welcome back to the Lockdown Gamecocks podcast, your show for the latest headlines and potential storylines on South Carolina Gamecock athletics. I'm Andrew Lyon, the host of this podcast, and also the lead staff writer for Gamecocks Digest over on SI.com. Thank you for making Lockdown Gamecocks your first listen every day. We are free and available on YouTube and also wherever you get your audio podcasts daily. And before we get into this Wednesday edition of Lockdown Gamecocks, I want to let y'all know that today's show is brought to you by FanDuel Sportsbook, the official sportsbook of the Lockdown Podcast Network. Make every moment more. Visit FanDuel.com slash Lockdown today to get started. One of South Carolina's biggest rivals on the football schedule year in and year out in the Georgia Bulldogs had some pretty big news that happened yesterday morning. As per multiple reports on Tuesday, Todd Munkin, the OC for the Georgia Bulldogs, took the offensive coordinator job with the NFL's Baltimore Ravens. And offensive analyst Mike Bobo has taken over the position. Mike Bobo, of course, played at Georgia, was at Georgia for a eight-year stint during Mark Rick's time there in Athens and was the offensive corner for South Carolina in 2020. So needless to say, Mike Bobo is a coach that South Carolina's fan base and the program is quite familiar with. So What does this move exactly mean for South Carolina? How does this impact the Gamecocks? Well, Todd Munkin exiting stage right and Mike Bobo joining the fray as their offensive play caller is officially opening the window of opportunity for the Gamecocks to beat the Georgia Bulldogs at least a little bit. Now, I will say this. I'm not going to sit here and say that Mike Bobo is a terrible offensive coordinator hire, like I know that some people out there are going to say, because Mike Bobo is not exactly a guy that's considered maybe one of the elite play callers in college football. But I do think that Mike Bobo is at least an above-average offensive coordinator. But either way you slice this, this is a step back for the Georgia Bulldogs at this coaching spot, because... Mike Bobo is by no means Todd Munkin. The thing that I've noticed with Mike Bobo over the years is that Bobo is a guy that at times in his career, in meaningful games, he seems to sort of overcomplicate what exactly he needs to do on critical downs. And depending on how sort of the flow of the game is going. And two of probably the biggest examples of this are ironically enough times where he was coaching against South Carolina in 2014 when the Gamecocks were facing the Georgia Bulldogs in Columbia. Mike Bobo was the OC there. It was his final year as their play caller. And of course, they had Todd Gurley there. Todd Gurley was a junior at this point and would wind up going on to the NFL and having a solid little mini career there with the Los Angeles Rams. But Gurley rushed for, I believe, 180-something yards on that day 
And there are plenty of occasions where, quite honestly, Georgia kind of just went away from the run when they didn't need to. South Carolina would go on to win that game, I believe, 38-35 to in what was an offensive shootout for 2014, that is. In 2021, the Gamecocks faced the Auburn Tigers. Mike Bobo was the OC, and they had a running back by the name of Tank Bigsby, who honestly, is probably one of the best backs that was not utilized in the correct way that this conference has seen in the last several years. And this game, again, was example A of this playing out in live time because Tank Bigsby had a really solid game against the Gamecocks. And of course, South Carolina fans, if you remember this game, you all remember the third and one where instead of just giving the ball to Tank Bigsby, Auburn decided to, I think, do a play-action pass, and T.J. Finley wound up throwing the ball like 25, 30-plus yards down the field. It made no sense, but, of course, the Gamecocks' defense was completely okay with that because Tank Bigsby gave them some issues, but the point being is that Mike Bobo was that same play caller, and that's a seven-year gap right there. And that was not too long ago when you're talking about the Auburn game. So the point is that it seems like that Mike Bobo just is what he is as an offensive coordinator. Again, he's not bad, but he's not a guy that's going to sort of really help Georgia maybe stay at the very top year after year. The other thing to take note of this hire, if you're a South Carolina fan, is the manner in which Kirby Smart hired Mike Bobo, which says a lot in my opinion, because... Some would say that he had no choice but to hire Mike Bobo based on the timing of this move, the fact that this happened in mid-February. We're now a month or two into the offseason for college football, and spring practice is just about to start in a matter of weeks. I would have two retorts to this narrative. Firstly, you're the back-to-back national champions in Athens right now, and you have a roster that is littered with five stars. So it's not like Georgia couldn't have gone out there, done a national search, and found somebody, at least one person, who would have been fine with leaving where he was at that current moment and going over to Athens to maybe make a bigger name for himself on the national stage in this sport. And here's the other thing. The way that this hire went down, this was quite literally announced within 20 minutes of the initial reports of Todd Munkin moving on and taking the job with the Baltimore Ravens, which tells you that this was a clear contingency plan that was put in place by head coach Kirby Smart and the staff. And in a way, this is a comfort hire for Kirby Smart. I believe that he and Mike Bubba were teammates actually for at least a year or so back in the early 90s on the Georgia Bulldogs football team. Again, Mike Bobo, he is a Georgia man through and through, playing there, having coached there for several years now. So let's make no mistake about it. This hire, again, it is in a way a comfort hire by Kirby Smart. And in terms of Kirby Smart and his offensive coordinator hires, we also need to remember that before he ever hired Todd Munkin, Kirby Smart is the same head coach who hired Jim Cheney as his first offensive coordinator, which if anyone remembers that offense, it was basically a downhill running game, short digs, out routes, and hitch routes that were being run by the wide receivers, and that comprised of about 90% of the offense. Quite frankly, one of the most vanilla offenses in all of college football. The only reason that they won as many games as they did was because of the talent that they had on the roster. His second offensive coordinator in 2019 was James 
Cooley. Georgia went from 14th in scoring offense to 49th that season. Took a massive nosedive in terms of production. Smart's hire of Todd Munkin was a move that, because of how everything played out, it has completely covered up the mistakes that Kirby Smart has made the past couple times in terms of hiring an offensive play caller for the Georgia Bulldogs. So let's bring this back to how this affects South Carolina. How does this compare to South Carolina? When you look at what Shane Beamer did this past December with his offensive coordinator position, he did anything but make a comfort hire or hire a buddy, so to speak. He hired an offensive coordinator in Dow Loggins, a guy that has no ties to the school, had no ties to Shane Beamer or Quite frankly, anyone on the staff, but he is a guy with an NFL background, extensive NFL background, and someone that Shamir believes could help this program take the next step, continue to progress on that side of the ball, and also fit the staff. And when you compare that to the hire of Mike Bobo at Georgia, that move was questioned because of just how out there the hire was, how much it was looked at as a out-of-the-box hire by Shane Beamer. Georgia's Kirby Smart is being criticized for the opposite reason. The final takeaway with this whole thing, comfort hires do not equal automatic failures, okay? This does not automatically mean that Georgia's offense is going to just plummet off a cliff. And maybe Mike Bobo has picked up some things and concepts from Todd Munkin that he is going to implement into his own offensive philosophy. But I think that, again, as I mentioned earlier, We've seen what Mike Bobo is as an offensive coordinator, and he is what he is at this point in his career. He's not going to just have this revolutionized offensive scheme that's going to go out there with Georgia next year and average like 40-plus points a game. Just don't see that happening. This kind of hire by Kirby Smart is going to, in my opinion at least, once again cap the Bulldogs in terms of their High-end potential, again, doesn't mean they can't compete for SEC championships. It doesn't mean they can't compete for playoff appearances, especially when the field expands to 12 teams starting in 2024. But this is the kind of move that could set back Georgia enough to where teams like South Carolina and other teams in the SEC could therefore catch up and make some ground on the Georgia Bulldogs. So, That is why this is a move that Gamecock fans need to pay attention to, and it is something to watch going forward, starting off with the 2023 football season. Now, moving on from football to the basketball court. South Carolina's men's basketball team once again took a step back on Tuesday night against the Vanderbilt Commodores at home. And there was one main takeaway with this game, along with a few supplementary takes to take away including one about Gigi Jackson, who has certainly uh, made some headlines in a lot of cases for the wrong reasons these past few games. We're going to talk about all of that in just a few moments right here on Locked On Gamecocks. Today's show is brought to you by FanDuel. The midway point of the NBA season is here, and now is the perfect time to download FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook, because new customers get a no-sweat first bet up to $1,000. That's bonus bets back if your first bet 
doesn't win. Just download the FanDuel Sportsbook app. It's safe, secure, and super easy to use. Then you can bet on everything from the money line to point scores and three-pointers made in a basketball game. Plus, FanDuel even lets you combine your bets for a chance at a bigger payout with a same-game parlay. So don't miss the chance to get your no-sweat first bet up to $1,000 in bonus bets when you go to FanDuel.com slash locked on. That's FanDuel.com slash locked on to learn more. Make every moment more with FanDuel, the official sportsbook partner of the NBA. Welcome back to today's edition of the Locked On Gamecocks podcast, where we cover your South Carolina Gamecocks every single day. Thank you for making Locked On Gamecocks your first listen every day. Make sure you check out our brand new podcast, Locked On College Basketball, where you'll find everything you need to know about college basketball in just one place. Plus, you'll hear from big name experts, insiders, coaches, and also players. Locked On College Basketball, available on YouTube and wherever you get your audio podcasts. Speaking of college basketball, South Carolina's men's basketball team took the floor last night. And unfortunately, the winning streak only lasted for one game this past Saturday against Ole Miss. As the Gamecocks dropped their home game last night against the Vanderbilt Commodores by final score of 75-64. to The main takeaway from this game was that This was a quintessential tale of two halves for South Carolina. At halftime, the Gamecocks were down, I believe, 38 to 18. They were down by 20 points in the first half after shooting 28.6% from the field and allowing 13 offensive rebounds to the Vanderbilt Commodores, again, in just the first 20 minutes. 13 offensive rebounds is just a solid mark if you get that for an entire ball game, much less one singular half. Now, the Gamecocks did fight back some in the second half. They shot 43.3% from the field in that period, but... They allowed Vanderbilt to stop two different scoring runs, one of which cut the game all the way down to nine, and the Commodores were able to pull away at the end and win this game by 11 points. So, what are a few of the supplementary takes from this contest? Firstly, and this explains why this game got as lopsided as it did early on in this contest— The effort just wasn't all there in the first half. I mentioned rebounding earlier, and that could be pointed to a bad job of boxing out opposing players, and also the fact that it seemed like that at certain times, certain guys honestly just were not giving full effort in terms of trying to get a loose ball. But the other thing is this. The Gamecocks compounded those issues by not helping themselves at all on the offensive end. South Carolina took 28 shots in the first half. 14 of them were three-pointers. Half of South Carolina's attempts came from, like, basically 24-plus feet away from the basket. South Carolina could maybe do this if they were the Golden State Warriors, if they had a Stephen Curry on their team or a Klay Thompson of that sort. But South Carolina does not have that kind of guy on their team. This is not a team that can settle for that high of a volume of shots away from the basket. 
This is a team that has got to be able to at least make opponents respect their ability to drive to the basket, their willingness to take it to the basket. And quite frankly, almost everyone on South Carolina's team outside of Hayden Brown the first half just were not intentional about that. So when you have that kind of a half in terms of shooting the basketball and the way in which you're shooting the basketball, not only are you already not helping yourselves on the defensive end on the glass, but you're not going to help out your big men or whoever your four or five are on the floor at that time on the offensive end as well because it doesn't give guys enough time to establish their positioning or a spot to where they can go up and get a rebound. And so, again, this really just sort of snowballed for South Carolina, and and that's why the deficit got so big heading into the break. The second supplementary take from this game, even though I say the effort wasn't all there in the first half, I do believe that this next take is part of the reason why this was the case. I do think that based on what I saw, the team is starting to show some signs of some accumulated fatigue from the amount of minutes that some of these guys have played this season. Hayden Brown especially. Now, Hayden Brown got a little bit dinged up last night. He was actually limping a little bit when he came into the media room for the press conference and then left afterwards. But I went back and checked the stats for all the guys that have played up to this point this season. The stats at least before the Vanderbilt game. And when looking at the minutes... There are four guys for South Carolina that are averaging 29-plus minutes of contest. Now, that is not terrible, in all honesty. It's not like that you've got multiple guys that are playing 34-plus minutes. Now, that would be probably a little bit more on the extreme side of things. And Lamont Paris, when I asked him after the game in his press conference, he said that the coaching staff takes real serious measures when they have these kind of games where some guys play a ton of minutes to ensure that they're getting the proper recovery, that they're not sort of overstressing their bodies too much or overstraining them whenever they are in practice the very next day. But it just sort of feels like that because Lamont Paris, of course, keeps this rotation a little bit shorter because, quite honestly, as he said before, he does not have the desired personnel that he and the staff want on this team in full right now. And there's only really seven, eight, maybe nine guys at the absolute max that he really trusts to go out there and give some really high-quality minutes consistently. And when you have that in this kind of conference with a bunch of guys that obviously have not played together before this season, then this kind of stuff can add up. And I think you saw some of that last night, and you combine that with the frustration of the fact that they probably all saw that Vanderbilt got out to a really big lead early on in the game, and I think it caused them to press a little bit more, but in the wrong ways. So I think that that was another takeaway from this contest. And then the last one is going to revolve around Gigi Jackson, who once again let his emotions get the best of him on Tuesday night. And in my opinion, he took another step back. Now, here's the thing. Gigi Jackson did not start this contest as well, which admittedly was not a humongous surprise, especially after sort of the way he acted during the Ole Miss game, where he was giving really bad body language on the bench. He was just slouched there, had a towel over his head, and was just sitting there and just almost stone cold with his emotions, just watching his team trying to fight to win this game against the Rebels. He did not start on Tuesday night, but he did play some. And here was the final stat line that Gigi Jackson had. He played 16 minutes overall. He scored two points. He shot one of seven from the field, and that includes six missed three-pointers. Yes, he took six shots from behind the arc. 
He had one rebound, and his plus-minus was minus 30, the worst mark on the team. Now, I want to be clear with everything that I just mentioned. I am not trying to pile on Gigi Jackson because, of course, I have mentioned multiple times before, he just turned 18 back in December. He could still be playing high school ball right now, and it's very clear that he's not used to some of the obstacles that he's having to deal with right now. But again, this is starting to become a trend for G.G. Jackson. This is now three or four of the last four or five games that the Gamecocks have played where G.G. Jackson has sort of had the game play out in this manner. He's settled for jump shots again early on the contest. Again, six of his seven attempts from the floor on Tuesday night were from behind a three-point line. G.G. Jackson really did not make any effort, it seemed like, to try to attack the basket. Even if it doesn't look completely ideal, you got to make opponents respect that part of your game. And Gigi just didn't seem to go out of his way to try to do that. It also felt like at times on Tuesday night that his defense left something to be desired. And I felt like that this was really noticeable because of the fact that there were certain times where Gigi Jackson was in the game and Vanderbilt seemed like drew up some plays that really seemed to sort of challenge him, go after him, and... At times, it worked out for him on their end. And Gigi eventually had a moment of frustration on the sideline once again, where I believe he basically was talking to someone. Maybe he was talking to Lamont. Maybe it was in the team huddle. And he started ripping off his wrist tape. And apparently, he even tried to go into the locker room, but he was prevented from doing that. But he wound up going to the end of the bench, sitting there, and again, just looked like he had pretty bad body language again throughout the rest of this contest. Again, I don't put this all on G.G. Jackson. He probably has a lot of expectation and weight on his shoulders that has led to some of this occurring. But I don't like where things are heading with this situation between South Carolina and G.G. Jackson. It's just not looking like it's heading down a really good path right now. G.G. Jackson, it would be one thing if this happened maybe once or twice throughout the season. But Gigi has now had three, four, five occasions where these, I don't want to say antics, but that's the best way to describe it, I guess. These antics on the sideline and his inability to at least be able to compartmentalize his emotions internally are having an effect. And it's really noticeable to where everybody's talking about that after the game. And the worry that Lamont Paris and the staff have to have is, is this going to potentially permeate to the rest of the guys in the locker room? Because that's the last thing that you would want as a coach. So, again, I'm not going to try to dive any further into this because you don't know what else has been said between Lamont Paris and Gigi Jackson. And obviously, Lamont Paris is not going to publicize what all has been talked about between him and the young true freshman. But, again, it just doesn't seem like that things are trending in the right direction in this aspect of Gigi Jackson's first season here in Columbia. So again, things maybe could change for the better. Maybe he has a sit down conversation or he just reflects and he decides that, you know what, he's not going to do that kind of stuff anymore. But um, I just don't know if that's what's going to happen. So it'll be interesting to see how the rest of the regular season plays out in terms of what's been going on with Gigi Jackson in recent outings. Welcome back to this Wednesday edition of the Lockdown Gamecocks podcast, where we cover your team every single day in just 
30 minutes. Let's talk some South Carolina baseball now. The Gamecocks are just two days away from opening day against UMass Lowell. And we talked about South Carolina's starting pitcher rotation on Tuesday's show. And it's been since announced, apparently, of course, after I do the preview show, that Will Sanders, Noah Hall, and Jack Mahoney will be your starting rotation, at least for this first weekend. Of course, this stuff is definitely bound to change as the sport of college baseball goes through the spring season. So we'll see if it ends up sticking that way. But for today's show, I want to talk about some projections for the starting outfield for South Carolina. Starting off with left field, I'm going to go with Carson Horning. And there's a couple of reasons why I think this. Carson was a freshman who handled being in the starting lineup pretty well last season, up until the latter portion of SEC play, where his play at the plate started to sort of nosedive a little bit. And it wasn't because of a lack of plate discipline. In terms of plate discipline, Carson was actually pretty solid for a true freshman. But the issue was that Carson still had too many times where he really wasn't able to get the ball in play and he would wind up striking out in a deep count. But the good news regarding that is if he can be a little bit more consistent with that and, again, just learn how to put the ball in play a little bit more based on the kind of pitches that he gets, Carson could become a really solid hitter in this lineup. And then we're looking at the fielding aspect. Although he did not have too many fly balls come his way in 2022, Carson caught 33 of the 34 fly balls that were in his general vicinity in 2022, and that was good for a 971 percent fielding percentage now he did not have any assists and I do believe that he had one error based on what I just mentioned a moment ago so Carson is not going to be this all-worldly outfielder that is going to you know maybe turn in some double plays or help assist on some double plays but again he's a guy that's going to get the job done and especially at left field that's all you can really want out of your guy at that spot now let's move on to the center fielder position and for this one I don't really think there's a doubt of who the star is going to be there. I think Evan Stone is going to get the nod here at this position. Stone was one of the bright spots for South Carolina in 2022 in terms of a true freshman that had a lot of really good moments, especially in terms of his fielding. He made multiple highlight reel catches, had multiple times where he and the wall had a little meetup right there at the warning track, and uh, quite frankly, Gave South Carolina fans uh, a few scares when those incidences happen. But Evan Stone is made of steel when it comes to making those kind of hard plays. And he's got legit speed that really helps him cover ground quickly out there in that area of the outfield. Now, I will say this. Evan Stone, sort of like Carson, he needs to pick it up at the play a little bit more this year. Stone is not going to be a power hitter, needless to say. But... He could do better in terms of becoming a more serviceable bat when it comes to making some timely hits and being a little bit more consistent with his plate discipline. Because again, he had moments where he could force a pitcher to go into some deep counts, but there was also times where Evan Stone would come up to the plate and it would be probably three or four pitches and he would be out. That, of course, is not the kind of at-bat that the coaches maybe want to see a ton out of a starter in the batting lineup. So look for Edmund Stone to be a little bit better in that spot now that he's got a year of experience under his belt. And again, in terms of his fielding, he is primed to be the starting center fielder for the Gamecocks this spring. 
And then moving on to right field, I think that the star there is going to be Dylan Brewer, the transfer out of Clemson. Now, when he played for the Tigers this past spring, Dylan Brewer had a pretty solid fielding percentage, ending the season with a 97.6% fielding percentage. He had 83 catches, zero assists, and two errors. So, kind of in the same vein as Carson Horning in terms of his fielding, Dylan Brewer is not going to be a guy that is going to necessarily maybe wow you in terms of his fielding ability, but again, he is a guy that can get the job done, and kind of like that left field spot and those corner spots in the outfield, that's really all you can ask for out of your guys in those positions. So those three guys, I think, are going to be the starters for this upcoming weekend. Again, this lineup could, of course, shift because there is a fourth guy, admittedly, that could push for playing time at maybe one of the corner slots in the outfield as well, and that is Caleb Denny, a transfer from Oral Roberts that the Gamecocks acquired this past offseason. Denny can play in left field. He could also play some in right field as well. I think that Denny is a little bit more suitable for the DH position because of the fact that he played the infield this past season for Oral Roberts, and I think that the transition to a new team with new teammates would be a little bit tougher on him. It's obviously a very different pace and sort of timing aspect when you're playing in that outfield compared to being at shortstop where things are happening so fast that sometimes you got to be able to react on a dime. So, Caleb Denny, in terms of his batting, he's really solid, and he's definitely someone that's going to start. The question is, does the coaching staff believe that he would be maybe more serviceable at one of these outfield positions? Again, we'll see how all that plays out, especially as the Gamecocks go through non-conference play. But I do believe that as of this moment, if I had to make a projection, I would say that Caleb Denny is more likely going to be a designated hitter for this team to start out the season. But with that being said, y'all, that's going to do it for today's show of the Lockdown Gamecocks podcast. I hope y'all thoroughly enjoyed today's show. As always, what are your thoughts on Georgia promoting Mike Bobo to their offensive coordinator position? And what kind of impact this could have for South Carolina? What could it mean for the Gamecocks in terms of their long-term outlook in the SEC? Also, what were your thoughts on the men's basketball team's performance on Tuesday night and Gigi Jackson, what all happened on the sidelines once again? And then lastly, who do you think the starting outfielders are going to be for South Carolina's baseball team in 2023? Do you agree or disagree with my selections? No matter what you think, I want to hear your thoughts down below in the comments section. If you're watching today's show on YouTube, or you could shoot me a direct message at a line underscore SC on Twitter, and I'll try to respond to your message as quickly as I see it. And once again, don't forget to make Lockdown College Basketball your second watch or listen now that you have watched or listened to the Lockdown Gamecocks podcast. But once again, y'all, that does it for me on today's show. Have a great rest of your Wednesday, and I will catch y'all on the next show of the Lockdown Gamecocks podcast. 